Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. From every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Before we get into the Word of God today, just want to encourage those of you who enjoy reading in these long winter nights uh, that are coming up for us. We're going to be having our book club uh, meeting in January if you'd like to read. Uh, we're reading John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. So if you feel like your life is being wasted, uh, this will be a good book for you to read. It's about uh, knowing Christ and growing in your love for him. So if you'd like to join, you can sign up in the back in the foyer as you leave today. Well, believe it or not, it is December 1st. This means, of course, that Christmas is coming soon. So let me ask you, how are you feeling about Christmas? Many of you are excited, I'm sure. You love the thrill of the holidays, and you enjoy the baking and the gift buying and decorating the tree and the caroling and all of the family visits. It's just a great season of the year. And if you are excited about Christmas today, I am happy for you. Christmas is a season of joy, and all of us who are Christians should feel joy at Christ's coming. But some of you, if you are honest, are not so excited about Christmas. Instead of joy, what you are feeling is what the prophet Isaiah writes about in Isaiah chapter 9, which we just read. What you are feeling is gloom, darkness, despair. You know you should be feeling joy at Christmas, but because of your circumstances, everything just feels dark. The darkness seems real to you, but Jesus and the joy that he brings don't feel real to you right now. Jesus feels more like a fairy tale. Maybe Jesus works for some people, but he doesn't work for you. If that describes you, I have good news for you in this Christmas season. The title of our sermon series in this month of Christmas is Prepare him room. We want everyone here to prepare room for Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. Today, we want everyone to prepare room for the hope that Jesus wants to bring to us. 
Hope is coming for you this Christmas if you will prepare room for Jesus. Yes, it is true. The darkness and the distress in your life are real. But if you are a Christian, these are not the only realities in your life. Nor are the darkness and distress the fundamental realities in your life. No. Hope is our fundamental reality because we have Jesus. In any situation, we can either sink into despair or we can rise up in hope. I pray this Christmas will be a season of hope for you. You might ask, well, why does Jesus give hope in spite of the darkness and distress in my life? So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 this morning and see four of the names of Jesus, names that give us hope. First of all, Jesus gives you hope as a wonderful counselor. Before we talk about the hope that Jesus gives, let's talk about the circumstances that existed in Isaiah's day. In verse 1 of chapter 9, we see that the people of Israel are experiencing gloom. That doesn't sound like much fun, does not They were gloomy circumstances. And what were the people walking in according to verse 2? What was their circumstance according to verse 2? They were walking in what? Darkness. The reason for the darkness and for the gloom was that the people were sinning against God through the worship of idols and through oppression of their neighbors. God's judgment then was coming for Israel. Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 8 that the Assyrians were going to invade Israel and they were going to take away both Israel's wealth as well as Israel's people. What a hopeless message. What a hopeless season for the people of Israel. But in the middle of this darkness, suddenly Isaiah prophesies a message of light and a message of hope. In verse 1, God says through Isaiah, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And then in verse 2, God says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Yes, judgment was coming for Israel. Darkness was on the way. But that was not Israel's only reality. Israel was also a people of hope. It had hope because of the words of verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. Israel's chosen Messiah was coming in the person of Jesus. And this gave the people hope. How sure was this hope? Today, we know that Jesus did not enter the world until more than 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy. Israel was going to have to wait a long time then until her Messiah was born. But let's use our English skills for a moment that we learned back in grammar school. What are the tenses of the verbs in verse 2? The people who walked in darkness 
have seen a great light. Have seen. Past tense. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Has shone. Past tense. Even though Jesus' birth was more than 700 years into the future, as far as Isaiah is concerned, it has already happened. Our hope is so sure that it is written in past tenses, even though, or as though it had already happened. So if you have faith, you can not only see the darkness of your circumstances. What else can you see if you have faith? The light of your sure and certain hope. One of the things that gives hope to us about Jesus is found in his names. The first name listed for Jesus in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 is that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, what does this name mean? It means that Jesus would be supernatural in wisdom. Israel had a king in Isaiah's day whose name was Ahaz. The wisdom of Ahaz was not so supernatural. It was all too human. We're going to learn more about Ahaz next week. The decisions that Ahaz made for Israel ruined the people of Israel. But King Jesus would have supernatural wisdom, the supernatural wisdom that we need for our lives and for our circumstances. And this gives us hope. Jesus would give wisdom to us that is unfailing. And in his wisdom, he frequently gives to us the opposite of human wisdom. For Jesus would teach us that in weakness is strength, in surrender is victory, and in death is life. Jesus' wisdom gives to us hope and light at the very same time that you are walking through some very dark circumstances. Every Wednesday, when Hope Baptist Church sends out its email prayer list, we ask you to pray for some portion of the church around the world that is going through a season of persecution. What is it that gives the persecuted church hope in the midst of their darkness? I believe it is some wise words from Jesus that gives hope to the persecuted church. Let's look at some of those wise words from Jesus to the persecuted church from Matthew 5, 11, and 12. And let's read those verses together out loud. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So what do you think Jesus' wise words do for the persecuted church today? They give hope in a dark time. And if you regularly read Jesus' words, what can you expect in your own seasons of darkness? 
you also can expect to find hope because Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Well, Jesus gives you hope not only as a wonderful counselor, but also as the mighty God. Mighty God is the second name for Jesus that is listed in Isaiah 9, 6. This name gave Israel hope because of the nature of the enemy that they were going to face. Assyria was the great rising superpower in Isaiah's day. Assyria was truly mighty. The Assyrians would approach Israel from the north in order to conquer it. We see in Isaiah 9 and verse 1 that the tribal lands of Zebulun and Naphtali will be brought into contempt by the conquering Assyrians. I brought a map so you can see where Zebulun and Naphtali are located within the nation of Israel. And as you can see from the map, Naphtali and then Zebulun are in the far north of Israel. So they would be the very first nations that would be plunged into darkness as Assyria would come to conquer Israel. They would be the first nations, or the first tribes rather, to experience the judgment of God. But do you know what? Zebulun and Naphtali would also be the very first tribes to experience the salvation of God as well. Do you know where Jesus, the child, prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 9? Do you know where Jesus grew up? Most everyone knows that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But what was the town where Jesus grew up? What town did he grow up in? He grew up in Nazareth. And where is Nazareth? Well, if you look at the map, sorry if you can bring the map back up, okay? You can see Zebulun, okay? That is where Nazareth is located within the borders of Zebulun, that very small tribe, which is about 20 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. And it was right on the Sea of Galilee, or near the Sea of Galilee, that Jesus, the mighty God, did some of his greatest miracles, miracles that are recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus, the mighty God, appeared to his people and did great deeds. And so we read in Isaiah 9 and verse 1 that God, Jesus, has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Jesus made this a glorious place of miracles because he is the mighty God. Some of you might feel overwhelmed by darkness today. You might feel like your enemy is too great that you are fighting. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus does not just sympathize with you in your distress. Jesus certainly does that. But Jesus is actually powerful enough to do something about your distress. Jesus is not just a human child. Jesus is the mighty God. He can do something about it. He can do something about your darkness. So there is no enemy that Jesus cannot defeat no matter how powerful that enemy might be. Our God, Jesus, is greater. 
Our God is stronger than the darkness that you face. It might seem to you like your enemy is too powerful. So in verse 3, God promises Israel something that we associate with Christmas. He promises for God's people joy. Isaiah says of God in verse 3, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Again, this verse is in the past tense. It is so sure to happen that as far as Isaiah was concerned, it has already happened. An Israelite listening to Isaiah might have thought, how can this be? Assyria is too powerful. It is, how can it be that we can have victory over our mighty enemy? And so in verse 4, God gives to Israel a history lesson. We read there, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, what was the day of Midian? It was the day when Gideon in Judges chapter 7 and chapter 8 had taken 300 Israelites and defeated 120,000 soldiers from Midian. 300 defeated 120,000. This was clearly a God thing. Only God could do that. Only the mighty God could win such a victory. And in the same way, a tiny, insignificant child would be born one day in Israel. And that child, Jesus, would defeat the enemies of God's people and bring great joy and victory. How could a child do this? Because this child is the mighty God. Church, you have hope this Christmas because Jesus is the mighty God. In the year 2001, the security uh, service chief in the Gaza Strip in Palestine was in a hopeless situation. He came under bullet fire from Israeli troops. And so from his car, he called Yasser Arafat, the leader of the Palestinians. And Arafat, in turn, called the U.S. ambassador, who then called the U.S. Secretary of State at the time, Colin Powell. And Powell then phoned Ariel Sharon, the Israeli prime minister, who ordered the shooting to stop. And it did stop. And so the security chief's connections eventually saved his life in a hopeless situation. Let me remind you today that you have connections to someone who is much, much greater than the U.S. Secretary of State. You have connections to the mighty God. You have connections to Jesus at all times. You are never hopeless. Jesus gives you hope in every situation. Jesus also gives you hope as the everlasting Father. Another aspect of Jesus' character is found in this title, Everlasting Father, a name which is also listed in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. 
We see in verse 6 then that Jesus is both a child and a father. Jesus is the promised child for Israel. It's Messiah. He would bring hope to the nation. But Jesus is also given the title Everlasting Father. Now, in what way is Jesus the Everlasting Father? The word everlasting is another way of saying that Jesus is God. Just like Jesus is called God in the title Mighty God, he is also called God in this title Everlasting Father. Only God is eternal. So to call God the Everlasting Father, or to call Jesus the Everlasting Father, is another way of saying that he is God. In a moment, I will talk to you about how Jesus acts like a typical father. But for now, I want you to realize that many of the kings in Isaiah's day would refer to themselves as the father of their nation or the father of their country. We've heard, of course, of, of George Washington. That's what he's called, right? The father of his country. And in the same way, people in Isaiah's day would call themselves the father of their nation. And so that's what uh, Jesus would be, the father of the nation of Israel. It is certainly true that uh, during uh, Israel's day, in the days of the judges, what they wanted was an everlasting father, someone who would be a good king, who would be a father for the nation. So many of the leaders of Israel, leaders who were called judges, were not so good. Some were good leaders and some did well, but most of the judges of Israel were very, very poor. This even took place when Israel started to have kings. Many of the kings of Israel were not good at all. They were terrible for the nation. And so the longing of the hearts of the people of Israel, we want a good king. We want an everlasting father. We want a good king who will have good children, which would lead to a, an eternal dynasty for our nation of good leadership. That's what the people longed for. But God was promising for the nation something even better. God would give to them an everlasting father, Jesus. One good king, the best possible king to rule over his people forever. Now, what did Isaiah mean by calling Jesus Father in a typical way that we think about fathers? Jesus is a father to us in that he is concerned for us like a father is. He cares for us like a father, and he disciplines us like a father. We see the discipline of God the Father toward his children in Isaiah chapter 9 by sending Assyria to Israel to judge her for her sin. It was because Israel needed discipline from God the Father that God gave to them, according to verse 4, a yoke, a staff, and a rod. The good news is that God would remove from Israel all of these tools of discipline through Jesus Christ when Jesus came to die on the cross for Israel's sins. All of the discipline would be gone at that point. But I want you to understand that when Jesus disciplines you today, Jesus is acting like a good father to you. 
Jesus' discipline in your life is not a reason to be discouraged. It is a reason for hope. Jesus' discipline for you is a sign of his love for you. Later this month, my father turns 90 years old. And so in honor of my father, I'd like to tell you a story about how he once disciplined me as his wayward son. When I was in middle school, I was not the brilliant scholar you see standing before you today. No, in fact, uh, one particular report card I brought home was, was not the best. And so I brought home a report card that showed that I had, in my classes, received four Bs and a C. And so the moment of truth came for me to hand this report card to my dad. And when my dad looked at it, he took a very quick look at it, and then he handed it back to me, and he gave me one of the shortest father-son speeches in history. He said, Glenn, I think you can do better than this. And with that, he just walked out. Now, to be honest, I was annoyed with my father at this time. Who does he think he is to tell me that I can do better in school? I'm doing the best I can. I'll show him. Well, I did show him. The very next quarter, I brought home a report card that had four A's and a B. I guess the old man was right after all. That's why my father disciplined me by giving me a light rebuke. Church, Jesus is a good father. He too will discipline you when you need it. He will discipline you to help you to change into the person that he knows you can be. This is good news. This is reason for hope. Finally, Jesus gives you hope today as the Prince of Peace. This is the last of the titles given to Jesus in verse 6. He is the Prince of Peace. Usually when we think about peace, we think about the absence of war, which is certainly true in this case with Jesus. We can see all that Jesus will do as the Prince of Peace in verse 5. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There is going to come a day, the great day when Jesus returns, when there will be no more war. War will come to an end because of the child to be born because of Jesus. War does not come to an end because Jesus gets rid of oppression with greater oppression of his own. No. Jesus, as the mighty God, is powerful enough to do away with war forever. And as the Prince of Peace, Jesus will burn up every weapon and every piece of clothing used in warfare. Won't that be a great day when there will be no more war? Won't it be wonderful when we as God's people live in complete peace with no fear of violence? But the peace that we will enjoy does not just mean an end to war. The peace is the fullness of what is described in the Hebrew word shalom. The word shalom in Hebrew means whole 
or complete. This peace, then, that we experience through Christ means fulfillment, well-being, harmony, peace with God, and peace with God's people. It is complete peace in every way possible. It was peace that is brought about through Christ's death on the cross. What a great day it will be when we all have no more reason to be afraid or anxious when Jesus returns for us to bring us to heaven. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will bring us to a place without anxiety, a place of peace and joy. Are you looking forward to that today? That's what we have to look forward to as God's people. Well, some might say, how do I know that Jesus really is all that? How do I know that Jesus really will bring us in his church to a place of complete peace? Look again at what it says in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. No end. Did you hear that? Right now on this earth, it seems like there is no end of conflict and of fighting. But in heaven, there will be no end of peace because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigns. Jesus, the everlasting Father, will be the final king, the king to end all kings. He will rule forever, and his reign will be a reign of complete peace. It will be a reign, according to verse 7, of justice and righteousness. There will be no more violence or coercion. This might sound too good to be true. But you do really have a reason for hope in the kingdom to come. Why? Because the end of verse 7 says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is passionately committed to bringing in the kingdom of God, this kingdom of peace. And if God is passionately committed to something... Can anyone stop him? No. We are then people of hope this Christmas. We have hope that the peace of Jesus is coming. It is coming through the child that was born for us, Jesus Christ. It is very easy for us to see darkness in our lives. We see dark circumstances. We see and read news that is dark. But I want to remind you today that all is not dark. Jesus has brought light. Jesus has brought hope that we Christians see through the eye of faith. Jesus brings with him the hope of a child. And so don't lose your hope today. Look at Jesus. Look at who he is, and you will find hope. You will find hope because Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace.
Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for all that Jesus has brought into our lives. We are thankful especially that Jesus brings us hope even in the midst of dark circumstances. Lord, for those who are walking in darkness today, they know that the darkness is very real. But I pray that they would also know that their hope is real. Their hope is real because Jesus is real. Remind us of that in this Christmas season. Amen.